Well, sounds good. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! And welcome to the Stinking Paws podcast. Scott here, and with me this afternoon, two for the price of one, in the blue corner, representing the Real Britannia podcast. It's Stephen. Good afternoon. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. A bit quick and punchy today in the red corner, representing <laughs> the Glass Onion on John Lennon podcast. It's Anthony. Good afternoon. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, mate. No time for chitter chatter. We've got a big one today. We've got a comedy to review. <laughs> oh, did I get that wrong? Oh, oh. It depends how you interpreted the movie, uh. mate. It's The Searchers, it's John Wayne. John Ford. Was it Max Steiner was the score? I think I saw on the credits. You know, the guy that did Casablanca, you know. It's Monument Valley. The whole movie just screams classic Western and classic cinema. I think the conversation may revolve around the fact of... Um, does it deserve it, I think? Is that where we're going with this today, guys? Well, yeah. I mean, what does classic mean as well? Does classic mean it's really good or it's iconic or it's got a great reputation? That's, mm-hmm. You know, I think that's, anyway, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to this. <laughs> Stephen's no stranger to reviewing this. You've reviewed this previously on another podcast, mate, haven't you? I have. About five years ago, uh, I went on the um, Classic Film Jerks podcast invited on and they had chosen this for um, us to review so this is the second time of me reviewing it at somebody else's behest so maybe i did a good job the first time or maybe um this is you know seeing if i can improve upon <laughs> that um because there was room for, i could only do it better so but they- um certainly this you know this is my second time reviewing it and i think my understanding of the film has improved a bit but um, that doesn't necessarily mean that my overall opinion has, has, has differed wildly. Ooh, okay. um, it's still, it's, um, but yeah, it, it's certainly um, something I have a bit more familiarity with as far as reviewing. Before we get to the re- review itself, guys, Westerns in general, mm. we haven't done that many on Stinking Paws. We've done Rio Bravo, Once Upon a Time in the West, and I think Tombstone, possibly one other. Love or hate them, what are your particular thoughts towards the whole genre of westerns anthony i mean there's a there's a few um that i'm going to name a bit later that <laughs> i think are better than this one but uh, <laughs> um I, there's obviously i mean Stephen, the, the show that Stephen was on was classic film jerks where they're kind of reviewing films and, and kind of making fun of old films and i think westerns are almost are there to be mocked because they're so tropey you know the mm. the 
the whiskey in the whorehouse and the, <laughs> you know they have a, a bath every six months and there's always a character who who's a loner and walks off into the sunset and uh, you know they're, they're they're ripe for that but i think of the many hundreds i don't know how many westerns hollywood's made but it must be a few hundred oh, i'm sure tens of thousands well, mate yeah when they get it right <laughs> And I mean, just to give a, a more recent one, not that recent, but The Unforgiven, for example, mm. that's, that's really kicked the genre, you know, on a bit. Western noir, Michael, that one. Western noir, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of darker in every way, isn't oh, it? Literally, yeah. literally darker. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I like them. I, the problem is that I think most of the ones I've seen are old, and they do tend to have tropes of old films that I find quite amusing. Okay. Know, ripe, ripe for mockery. But, uh, Having said that, you know, there's three or four that I'll name later that, that I'd really rate very highly. Okay, but it's not but a I genre think you... I think it's developed a, a lot. It's not a genre you generally turn to. If you're going to watch a movie one night, you don't automatically think, I fancy a Western. Probably Fair. not, no. Right. No. Stephen, lover of the genre? Not uh, uh, one of the most prominent ones on my list. No, it's not mm. one I turn to um, automatically. I, I, you know, film noir and particularly is, is more likely to hit home with that. Westerns, it's selective, as Anthony said. That the it's not just hundreds, it's thousands. Yeah. Um, they were pump, they were pumping them out, you know, on on a you know a production basis that were just copy and paste almost in, in some yeah. respects. Um, at one point, and um, you know, almost like superhero movies now. And now there's, there's just, it was just a glut of uh, easy easy ways to um to get a film out there. Yeah. Um, with the the story and the amount of props and things that could, you know, and they needed to provide. Mm. So, um, it, there's a lot of out there that is just dire, just, uh, not of note at all. There's a, there's a few examples of that are great, um, that deserve more attention. And, and I do like occasionally having, you know, one of the, the spaghetti Westerns occasionally. Mm. Um, and some of the more modern ones that have, have sort of, rejuvenated the the genre of, mm-hmm. are interesting as well but as far as the classic ones uh, far too many of the, the classic ones were too cardboard in plot and performance really to be a, of, of note <clears throat> in my opinion you guys are typical of guests on this show i don't think i've met anybody you know even even sort of in conversation with other podcasters that can actually say that they would say that a western is is their turn to genre or something they watch quite regularly it's something that i do i do like a western and i'm gonna put forward a few sort of arguments and sort of <laughs> mm. counter arguments against whether this is or this isn't the best western ever made i'll leave you to find out what my thoughts are in just a second it's the searchers we'll be back after this From the thrilling pages of life rides a man you must fear and respect. A man whose unconquerable will and boundless determination carved a lusty, rough and boisterous slice of history called The Searchers. It's John Wayne as Ethan Edwards. 
who had a rare kind of courage. The courage that simply keeps on and on, far beyond all reasonable endurance, never thinking of himself as martyred, never thinking of himself as brave. So we'll find him in the end, I promise you. We'll find him. Here is a story of a man, hard and relentless, tender and passionate, of people who dared to challenge a hostile land. Here is drama of great love and aching loneliness. I found him. I found Lucy. What you saw was a buck wearing Lucy's dress. I found Lucy back in the canyon. What was she? What do you want me to do, draw you a picture? Spell it out? Don't ever ask me. As long as you live, don't ever ask me more. And if you don't hear my first holler, you better read my mind, because I don't aim to raise no two hollers on any subject at hand. Yes, sir. Boy, watch that knife. Go, Martin, please. Stand aside, Martin. No, you don't, Ethan. Ethan, no, you don't. Stand aside. Looks like you got yourself surrounded. Yeah, and I figure on getting myself unsurrounded. Let's go! The Searchers, released in the USA 26 May 1956, directed by John Ford. Starring John Wayne, Jeffrey Hunter, Vera Miles, Ward Bond and Natalie Wood. John Ford's 1956 film The Searchers is one of the finest of the great director's career. And with its overtones of racism, it's also one of his most complicated. In the movie, Ethan Edwards, played by John Wayne, goes on a years-long quest to find his niece Debbie, who has been abducted by Comanche Indians. As the search drags on, his hatred for the Comanche intensifies... And by the time he finds Debbie, now played by Natalie Wood, fully integrated into the Comanche nation, he doesn't know whether to save her or to kill her. Bit of background, generally regarded as one of the greatest westerns ever made. Now listen to this guys, I did a little bit of digging before we went on air. It gets a very high 7.9 on IMDb. Now, regular listeners to the show, we've sort of worked out that anything above 7 on the IMDb rating is quite good. There's mm. not many that get above a seven. Um, and it all depends how much faith you put in the IMDb system and their top 250 and all this lot. Did you know it's not actually in the IMDb 250? Oh. So what's the lowest <laughs> score then? Is it like eight or? The highest it ever got was in 1996, and it's since dropped out, obviously. Guess how high it actually got in the IMDb top Top 250. I think pretty high. Go on. 100, 150. 150. You think that? Oh, okay, Stephen. I think around about the same, to be honest, yeah. You don't think he got any higher than 150? Well, yeah, now you think of it. Uh, only because there's a lot of bias towards recent films on there, it mm-hmm. seems. Yeah. You know? Oh, okay. 60, 65. <laughs> it got to number 90. So it did break the wow. top 100. It's a great Western. I'll, I'll, I'll lay my cards out on the table. In the saloon bar here, right? It's a great Western. It's not my favourite John Wayne movie. It's not my favourite John Wayne, John Ford collaboration. 
I think that will probably be the man who shot Liberty Valance. I, I do like that one. Okay, because probably because Jimmy Stewart's in it, you know. Yeah. I love Rio Bravo as a John Wayne movie, and High Noon is up there for me. It was a great western. Um, along with Once Upon a Time in the West, a bit of Sergio yes. Leone. Yeah, I think most people would recognise that as being a great western. And this one called Carry On Cowboy. Isn't Carry On Cowboys <laughs> Top Ten. <laughs> um, one minute it was peace on, the next it was peace off. <laughs> That's it. the line. Marshall P. That. Nut, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and contentiously, I do hold a lot of affection for Dances with Wolves, which just goes to prove I'm not a Western snob. I mean, people people have got a lot of hatred for that movie because I think it denied the Oscar for Goodfellas. Goodfellas yeah, yeah, so I, I love Dances with Wolves. I'm a big Kevin Costner fan. I'd be interested to see how many times you've both seen it because Stephen has watched it, as we know, and reviewed it, and we now know that you didn't choose it for this previous review that you did. So a bit of history of it, Stephen. How many times have you seen it? Because obviously it's not one you turn to. You've got to think, it, by the sound of it, you only watch it because you're told to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, every time, yeah, every time I'm, I'm told to, I watch it. Um, to be honest, I think that this uh, this watch for this podcast, I think was maybe the fourth time I've watched it. Oh, that's more than I was expecting. Then that's that's mm. yeah. Okay, Anthony, I don't think you've probably watched it too many times. Then uh, it's the second time yeah. I watched it. First time was only about three, four years ago. It's one of those ones, you know, because I knew it was a classic. Um, I've only ever seen one John Wayne film before. It's A Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, oh which I did God. actually like, and I thought he held his own with James Stewart. In that oh, one. okay. Yeah. That, that is but, a bit uh, of a revelation that you've only seen one of a John Wayne. Yeah, I just feel like I've seen a lot of him. I must have seen clips of so, hundreds of others. I just can't mm, think of other ones I've no seen. No True Grit or no, Quiet Man or, you know, those, those sort no, of... No, weird. Okay. Tell, tell us about John Wayne. What did you want to say about Because it is John Wayne's movie, obviously. We know that. Mm. Tell, what, what is it you wanted to bring to the table about John Wayne? I mean, I just I just made a little list of uh, pros and cons. I mean, we could talk about his politics later or not, <laughs> whichever you prefer. But, uh, no, I was thinking about it. We'd uh, have different opinions there because Scott would agree and I wouldn't. <laughs> right. <true. laughs> well, no, he did a famous interview in 1971 that I found a little bit of. Mm. And some of it is, yeah, we'll do that later, maybe. Yeah. Or, or I said, or not at all. Um, I mean, he he moves well. I mean, he's he's got a he's got a kind of very world weary kind of way about him. He's got a presence. Uh, he looks good in his jeans, even though I don't don't believe jeans were invented then. But uh, I don't know. Was it 1868? Isn't it? It's three years after the end of the war. Levi's, jeans were invented. Levi's were, Levi's were invented about then, weren't they? I think. 1871. Yeah. It's always been said that. Um, in the classic genre of, of, of cowboy films, um, that it was highly unusual. You would have had cowboys wearing jeans because jeans were very much, you know, the the workmen's wear, mm. and they saw themselves yeah. above that level, and they so they wouldn't have, have worn them at all. You wouldn't have caught a, a cowboy, um, and particularly not somebody of the the ilk who wasn't a working cowhand, as it were, um, mm. like these guys. You wouldn't have caught them wearing wearing jeans i mean i noticed that what the um, vera miles i think was wearing she jeans was. at one point she was um, yep. she, you know and she looked a lot better in them than uh, john wayne did <laughs> but um uh, you know th- that was uh, one of those things that was a bit of a misnomer from um the classic genre of, mm. of, of of cowboy films as well as the thing where you you sometimes some of them they have 
the holster is is tied around the um, the thigh. The mm. bottom part of the holster is, mm. and that is something that never never happened either. So um, there's a few and all that that were in the sort of the the production line cowboy films that um, wouldn't have actually come to pass in in reality. But yes, the genes yeah, had only just been invented. Oh, I mean, bit of artistic we, license. Yeah. yeah, if we're going to pick holes yeah. in in the minutiae of this movie, it's you know it's Monument Valley, which is Utah and not Texas. You know, and you can mm. obviously see that. The locations and, and things change throughout this movie. Mm. Canada, um, even Canada, at one point, isn't it? And, and yeah. because I think that's probably the snow scenes, isn't it? I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah, Just to give the impression of the passage of time. So you haven't um, got a great deal of experience of seeing John Wayne movies, then, Anthony? Then really? No, no. Like I say, I mean, I feel like I've seen hundreds of clips, but Stagecoach is the one I've always wanted to see. I mm. mean, there's plenty. It's on. It's on. You know, the the ever growing list of films that I might get around to finally. You know, but. I mean, but like I was saying, like on the plus side, I mean, he, he definitely looks the part. I mean, he moves well, he's got a presence, but it's just when he opens his mouth. <laughs> it's just that wooden delivery. It's just, it's great. I like the comedy, actually. The bit where the guy marries the, the Indian. It's the only bit, of, only bit of comedy in the movie, really, isn't it, guys? I mean, you've got that, that comedy fight at the wedding and stuff, haven't you? Mm. Anything else, yeah. Stephen? There's not really anything. I think that, I think that there's there's... There's bits of levity that they try to put in all the way through. Yeah, levity is the word. The, the, mm. the, the tension in that time, particularly having a film that was that was all tension all the way through, and particularly a cowboy film, um, a western, um, having it that it was all tension all the way through. It wasn't really the, the done thing, and yeah. so trying to have bits of levity in it to to help. I mean, there was bits, you know, where the you know kicking old Mo up the ass because he was like prancing around in the the Indian gear. Um, while they were trying to make camp and uh, Martin falling off the back of the chair, you know, um, yes. when she pushed him and, and um, bits like that, which were which were inserted to, to provide a bit of contrast. That I think that was one of the, the things that they've tried to do throughout the film. And obviously, yes, the wedding scene and and, mm. and stuff were was some of the, the bigger examples. But I do think that they, they tried to put Every you know every um, ten minutes or so, they tried to put a bit some form of levity in there, in from what I could see, and I think that was just trying to make it easier watch for the audiences at the time and what their expectations were. Mm. Plus, you know, we've talked about this before. It's it's a night out of the cinema. It's not people are not we're not watching this on video in 1956 and pouring over the details. You know, so I think they just put stuff in purely for entertainment. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, perhaps how, at the how, expense of some credibility, even you know. How long? How long was the movie? A couple of hours, guys. It wasn't over long, yeah. was it? It was. So yeah, it, it's it's almost an epic tale because it's spread out over. How many years would you say? How many years would you? I say? think it's. It, yeah, I think epic is in, entirely right because mm. I mean, it's yeah, time wise, it's set over about five years. Yeah, and um, you know the the range of geography. Um, mm-hmm. it is is told as well. I mean, you know, you get that right from the beginning. The sort of the mm-hmm. panorama, yeah. um, and and that's you know one of the one of the plus points of this film is you know the the scenery that it shows off. Certainly, it, it, you know, you've got the, the scope as far as how far it it, it takes um, the characters um, traveling. It's that kind of and because of the relationships as well. I mean that you know mm. people you can see the contrast of some of the other people's lives moving on while 
these um, central characters are just still dedicated to to this singular purpose. So I think epic epic is a word that applies to this in a couple of different uh, different scenarios. Really, yeah. um, not really no, not an epic necessarily in the time scale of the, of the length of the film. Though, thankfully, it's not three hours long or anything. No, mm-hmm. but you get the impression that it's not one of those throwaway westerns, like you said, Stephen. They were being, you know. Mm knocked out by Hollywood every other day. You know, there would be a Western after Western after Western. This one is almost like an event Western, isn't it? It's a big it's a big movie. John Wayne was massive at this point. John Ford was huge. Mm. You know, it's Technicolor, it's it's widescreen, it's it's everything that cinema audience in the fifties were expecting because fifty five, fifty six, remember guys, we we've had conversations before where the advent of T V was drawing people away from the cinemas so that's why cinemascope was invented you know three years mm. after this ben hur would be all the rage you know those sort of massive great things just to give people something different that they couldn't see on their tv screen i'm going to dispute to a certain degree anthony's comment about the wooden performance by john wayne but i'm going to save that because it's it relates to one particular scene that i want to mention which i think okay. is very important that we I mention mean- yeah I mean, in in his defence, I mean, I'm I'm sure you'd agree that acting was a bit more wooden in those days in general. I mean, you know, a bit stagey sort of, sometimes. You can you can see some of it is is very projected. Yeah, and people just kind of suddenly get angry or suddenly burst into tears or you know, uh, Vivian Lee and Gone with the Wind is a good example. <laughs> um, and I think there was a change. I mean, people like Brando and all those those kind of people is. The, the realism thing wasn't... Oh, yeah, I don't think it was the, particularly valued then, was it? It was it, entertainment, it was, it's not it was like escapism. Strasbourg yeah. and the method acting and all that lot are sort of introduced, aren't they? You know, But mm. it's entertainment. That's all it is. That's all this movie, mm. you know, or, or movies around this time were designed for, was to entertain, not necessarily win awards or showcase great acting talent. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, obviously that's quite debatable as to are they great actors or not. They're certainly not. You know, we had this problem with stage actors, you know, coming onto the big screen and adapting their delivery and their manner of acting for, for that. Um, I don't know. It's, it's of its time. Let's just let's just say it's of its time, isn't it? It is. It's a 1956 movie. I'm yeah. going to ask a couple of connections questions here before we go into the the meat and potatoes of this. Just as a bit of levity within the review. Okay, guys, what's the connection between this and Star Trek, the TV series? Do, 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 Star Trek. Don't know. <laughs> I didn't see much Star Trek, to be honest. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> any idea? Um, is it the guy who plays Scar? No, you'd think he'd be an alien or something, a Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a German actor. It's Henry Brandon. He's a German guy. It's Jeffrey, German, Hun- German, Jeffrey Hunter. Yeah. German, German. Jeffrey Hunter <laughs> plays Martin Pauly. Oh, he was originally um, Captain Christopher Pike. In the pilot, yes. Yes. Mm. Okay, uh, you should get this one. Connection between this and Alfred Hitchcock movie from about four years later. Ah, uh, oh, Vera Miles. Vera yeah. Miles. Psycho. Janet Lee's sister. Mm. Psycho, yeah. This one and a Sean Connery Bond movie. Uh, uh, odd, odd job, wasn't it? No, no uh, Bond Girl. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Plenty O'Toole. Plenty That's O'Toole. Uh, Lana Wood. Lana Wood. Lana Wood, yeah. Plenty O'Toole. Named after your father, no doubt, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the connection between this and your favourite movie, Stephen? 
That's not yeah, my favorite, favorite movie. <laughs> favorite movie um, genre uh, series is, is favorite movie is Back to the Future. Ah, so uh, Back to the Back to the Future Three then. Yes. Um, yeah. And um, <laughs> there's there's a mention of John Wayne in that. No, no. One of, one of the one of the locations. One of the actors is in it. Harry oh, right. Harry Carey Jr. who plays Brad Jorgensen. Yeah. Uh, is one of the three old timers in the saloon. Ah. And also there is a yeah. there is another connection with Twin Peaks as well, the original T V series. Uh, I never saw that one, so uh, I can't imagine. Mose, Hank Warden, who plays Mose. Oh right. Who was in virtually oh. every Western along with a lot of these guys in this movie. He played the waiter in Twin Peaks. He appears in you know the red room where the dwarf is walking backwards and it's all filmed backwards and stuff like that. He's a he's a waiter yeah. that appears quite often in about three or four of the episodes. And there's one massive connection and I need to mention this guy before we go into the proper review. Ward Bond, who plays the Reverend, okay? Possibly the finest actor Hollywood produced that never made it to A-list. I mean, his performance in this is fantastic. He's one of my favourite characters in the movie. Reminds me a bit of Lee Marvin in Paint Your Wagon with the big beard and the top hat. Mm. He was in 247, Stephen, get this, 247 credited appearances. Now, you being in charge of the Hall of Fame for Real Britannia, you know that anything over 200 is absolutely massive body of work. It is, yeah. And um, you know, I know at one point there was a mention of Village Hall of Fame years ago in the Stinking Post, so I'm glad that that wasn't it. maintained. Yeah, oh. we started it, and it fell by the wayside because it got too big. And again, a huge body of work for a man who died in 19, ooh, 1960. He was only like 56 think, or yeah. something. What's his most famous role? Anthony, come on. Which actor? Ward? Ward Bond, who played the Reverend. Reverend Captain. Oh, I don't know. Struggling. Stephen, did you recognise him? Multi, was it in Maltese? Uh, he was in the Maltese Falcon. He was in The Quiet Man. He was in Man. every in wonderful single life movie. Well. He was Bert the Cop in It's a Wonderful Life. Um, one of my favourite actors that never really made it and now you've spotted him if you start watching any movie from the 40s or the 50s as I say he was in the Maltese Falcon you'll spot him and he stands out he was a great actor did a lot of John Ford stuff he did a lot of westerns with John Wayne I think he was in Rio Bravo as well definitely I think he played the Reverend in Quiet Man look out for him Mm. He's, he's a massive great great star that's sort of like under undersung undersung hero of mine so mm. what's your problem with this movie guys who's going first <laughs> i mean i joked at the beginning that it was uh, it would be a good comedy if you just change the music but uh, <laughs> um it's i don't know i mean uh, if you um if you compare it with the the remake of true grit mm-hmm. um which i didn't think was i don't think the remake was brilliant and i must confess i haven't seen the original of that I feel like this is a really good story um, that could be remade quite well. Based on a true story uh, as well as a novel. Yeah, the novel. Yeah, based on sort of incident. loosely based, doesn't mm, it? Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it's the John Wayne thing. I think, like I say, he's, I like the, the few comedic bits, and he's good at the one-liners. It's just the dramatic stuff. I, can't, I just can't quite take him seriously, but I'm very open to 
You know, when we did Raging Bull, do you remember you said, oh, I need convincing? Yes, yeah. and you did I am o- I am open to being convinced. I, I definitely am. The and I feel like that, if I watch that, this a few mm. more times, it probably would get better. It's probably got staying power. But I, I think you need I to just... see some stuff prior to this to make the comparison. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah. Because leading up to this, there was this general perception amongst a lot of critics that John Wayne just couldn't act. He just played John Wayne. But this one, a lot of critics sort of said, actually... Yeah, he's he's not too bad in this, but again, as there's right. one particular scene I need to point out that'll that'll highlight that. But yeah, sorry, it's mate. There's just, just certain, yeah. I, I guess it's certain tropes of old films. I was saying earlier, where I mean, I mean, the bit the bit that really got me was that uh, you know he, he's very taken with his niece. Uh, apparently, it's possibly supposed to be his daughter. This is the uh, bit. He's kind of you've yeah, hit the nail on the lingering head. looks. Right. Yeah, yeah. But then suddenly he wants to kill her. Because she's uh, gone with the Indians. And obviously he's got a grudge. I don't understand why he learned Comanche if he hates the Indians so much. But you could explain that to me. <laughs> but it's just all a bit... I mean, the problem with old films is often there's no character development. And there's no subtlety. It's just things just suddenly turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think this is one way that, that films have improved greatly. You know, I think there was a sweet spot maybe in the 70s. Uh, which ironically is when this film started to become popular, didn't it? Because yes. it actually had quite mixed reviews. Mm. That that kind of mix of an old style, uh, kind of not so many cuts, you know, having long shots. And I, I love some of the, you know, some of the vistas in this are brilliant. So there was a sweet spot there. Nowadays, you've got too many cuts. So I'm kind of, um, you know, can't really win in one way. <laughs> but uh, no, I just... To be perfectly honest, I didn't really care what happened to any of the characters. And I think, you know, I'm sure we've said this before, you judge a film on that, whether they're good people or bad people. Yeah. And, and I think um, I think it didn't do itself many favours in the first half an hour. I don't think it started very well. I think I kind of grew into it a little bit. And like I say, I'm sure if I watched it again, it would get better rather than worse. So, mm. But I just found it all a bit sort of unconvincing. And perhaps, you know, again, it, it's got too much of a reputation you know i mean we said before if you watch citizen kane and you and you've been told by for, for 20 years it's the greatest film ever and you start watching and you think well, well what's so spectacular about this i kind of maybe it was a bit of that as well but just found it all a bit unconvincing really Stephen, have yeah. you got in summary like your issues with this i mean you, you you're sort of in the middle here i don't i'm trying to judge whether you you just think it's an okay movie. I don't think you've got any real opinion either way, have you? I think there's more to it than um, maybe some people are, uh, and to be included in that. I think there's more to it than um, maybe um, he's, he's getting immediately. And I think part mm. of that is, as he's identified, that um, my appreciation of it has grown through repeated watchings because yeah. um, the, the more I've, I've seen, I mean, there's definitely some some bits in it and it does relate to, to John Wayne and his acting, um, which I, I presume we're you know, trying to leave off because uh, Scott's going to come back to that, um, that brings some of the uh, uh, sort of subplot and also um, some subtlety in his acting that I think isn't recognisable straight away, uh, easily, in a way. I think that the, there are problems with it. I think mm. some of uh, John Ford's greatness... In, in painting a picture and and, make, and using landscape beautifully and, and etc and, and you know in some ways um that poetry uh, use of it is some of the other side of it he's got some great technical things with the the long shots and 
that are done on dollies where the very long scene that's just following them on horseback or whatever but there are some other bits where because he's he's decided to take first takes um of things has been more authentic that that it um it shows holes i mean there's some big holes you can you can point at she throws a, a letter on the fire and misses and the father has to go <laughs> put it in the fire so he can go yeah, and save yeah. it from the fire um <laughs> And some some of the other bits you can explain away and, and say yes, well that's that does make it more authentic that he shoots a gun before he's got it pointed at, after he's just been warned to watch out whether it's loaded. Um, yeah, yeah. And, after, yeah. And, and and in that sense, but I don't think so. I don't think it's a perfect film. Although my opinion of westerns isn't that they're the the highest um, art form within cinema anyway. Mm. I do think it's one of the better westerns from the classic era. Um, because so many of them were were, were, were dross, but um, certainly yeah. there's been an improvement in the modern area era on um, on this, and you know credit to to this this influenced that improvement. Yeah, you know, they've taken a lot of elements from John Ford, particularly. I, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as the best western. I do think it's it's one of the best perform best westerns that John Wayne was ever in. Really, I think. Mm. Fans of the genre are quite forgiving, you know. With you yeah. pointing out Forgive, some, some of the forgiving with something else. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're quite forgiving of, of of the little mistakes and the and the technical errors, because yeah, Western fans are used to these dime a dozen, you know, knock out, you know, every other week westerns that were on the big screen. There's a lovely you you said sweet spot at one point, Anthony. There's a sweet spot in Western mm. history which is the sort of mid fifties. Right. Um, with the Anthony Mann Westerns and, and Jimmy Stewart, there was a set of about four or five, and they are absolutely fantastic. You know, they're often regarded as top of the tree in the genre. But what happens not long after this is when there's a shift in the genre where the whole of the Indian race is is not seen as savages. The Western mm. starts changing shift and the spaghetti Western starts creeping in. And this is where Westerns start to die the american western starts to die a wee bit not long after this and it's a combination of the advent of television the fact that you can't make a western like a ben-hur movie you can't drag a three-hour movie but this is probably the pinnacle of that epicness that we were talking about earlier and i don't know i think it's a very fine example of the way westerns evolved from, you know, the black and white stagecoach, 1939, every single action hero was a Western star. You know, Aldie Murphy, the, the most decorated American soldier, wasn't he? He was a, a Western hero, you know. Can I just uh, just say a couple of other things? Mm. Um, I think one thing, when we reviewed Rope quite recently, we were saying that um, one of the things is that Rope was obviously very innovative and mm. and often a film would be innovative and then other people will do the same thing better, which is just natural as time, you know, as film evolves, it's going to get better and better. So, I, I, And I don't care about the genes or the fact that Natalie Wood's character ages a bit too much because yeah. it was her sister, wasn't it? And that was a good idea to have the two sisters. But stuff like, um, I mean, Ethan suddenly wanting to kill his niece stroke daughter and then they go back to the camp. Suddenly Natalie Wood's really happy to see um, Martin, is it? Yes, yeah. And then, you know, we're worried about whether John Wayne's going to shoot her, and then he doesn't. But there's no 
like there's no <laughs> there's no clue as to why that change has happened. That's I know right. I'm overanalyzing, and I know it's just this... 50s entertainment. It's just it just bothers me a little bit. This is it's where I come just in too suddenly. But go on, yeah, please convince me. I'm totally open. Right, right <laughs> towards the beginning. Did you guys have any inclination, any feeling that John Wayne may be Debbie's father? Not until I read it. No, not no. until you read it, Stephen. I picked up on that there was a, an unspoken mm-hmm. um, connection between um, John Wayne's character Ethan and his sister-in-law. Yes, um, you know whether that is there's a, a, a link there for to, to Debbie not being his niece, but being because that's that's where the subtlety that I was referring to before the performances from uh, John Wayne and some of the way the cinematography and and the way that the, the scenes are, are shot gives that. Um, something that I didn't pick up the first time I watched it, but I did pick up subsequently that there was this unspoken relationship, and it actually, you know, it's difficult because John Ford, is, particularly in this film, has an aversion to to close-ups a lot of the time when he should could be showing the whole scene of a room, and you you sort of look at it yourself and pick out like you would in in normal. Um, mm. Circumstances. Okay. So that so there may be the you know there may be the the that is a link through there for that 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 via that relation that way that the um is how there's a link to um to the fathering of, of Debbie. I right. don't know right. really if that's the link. I will give you John Ford's own words on this subject right back mm. in the sixties. Peter Bogdanovich, who is a massive, massive John Ford fan absolutely adored him was granted access for interviews which was very rare because john ford very rarely gave any sort of interview at all and he spoke to him at length about most of his movies and he commented on pretty much all of them over the course of a few days during these interviews that bogdanovich done with it and bogdanovich asked him he said now picture this scene at the beginning was the scene towards the beginning during which wayne's sister-in-law gets his coat for him meant to convey silently a past love between them now, Ford himself answered, well, I thought it was pretty obvious. His brother-in-law's in love with Wayne. You couldn't hit it on the nose, but I think it's very plain to anyone with any intelligence. You could tell from the way she picked up his cape, and I think mm-hmm. you could tell from Ward Bond's expression and from his exit, as though he hadn't noticed anything. Right, so picture that right. scene. You can see that. It's that unwritten sort of, you know, or unspoken thing going on. And then John Wayne himself was asked the question many years later. And this is all to do with, towards the end... Now, bearing in mind, if you think now that he's had this affair with his sister-in-law all those years ago, and and Debbie is the product of that, the bit towards the end where he grabs Natalie Wood and you think, this is it, he's going to kill her at this point. He's got her in his arms and he looks her in the eyes and he says, let's go home. Pretty much, Mm. yeah, let's, let's get out of here sort of thing. John Wayne, when he was asked, right, said, a lot of people ask me why Ethan had become so hell-bent on killing Debbie and then at the final moment takes her home. Wayne said, Pappy, who's John Ford, Pappy was clever because he hinted, and so did I, that Ethan had had an affair with his brother's wife. But we didn't spell it out. It was for the audience to figure out. So Ethan's first for vengeance wasn't just for killing his brother, but for also killing the woman that he loved. When he picks up Debbie at the end... I had to think what's going through his mind as he looks into her face. I guess he saw in her eyes the woman he loved. That was enough to mm. overcome his hatred. 
Yes, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if it's his daughter, doesn't that make it even more unlikely that he was that he was going to kill her earlier? Like there wasn't even any like. I mean, there was no like thought about it. He just like pulls out his gun. He's going to shoot his daughter. I think it's because I mean, the racism is, is totally ingrained in him. Look at yeah, his first. It's, it's the racism yeah. and the, the, the you know he, he can't even with Martin. He, yeah. he has difficulty with him being one eighth at um, the beginning. Yeah, native, yeah. and um, that that is enough to di- to dilute him to the extent where he's he's not considered completely human. And in fact, you know, he refers to later on when they're talking about the mm. the um, the the uh, Native Americans reviving a horse and and riding it for another yes. 20 miles yeah. and then eating it and stuff and he, he refers to to humans as the people who you know and then <laughs> the the natives has been has been not basically um in that that comparison because he goes a human would mm. but an Indian wouldn't um it's that diluting and because she's <laughs> one of a better phrase gone native um <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, and it ends up being that her being irredeemable and in considering that she all the way through, he's 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 setting himself with the mind that she's, it's be, she's better dead than been a native, and that she's mm. better off not actually being sort of continuing in that life, and that's what you don't want his bloodline potentially to be, and and also that you know you you've also culturally as well at the at the time, obviously as well with um, women not being considered the same as well. I mean the, the whole virginity of a, of a woman and uh, defiling of a, of a woman. And etc. That once a, a woman had lost her virginity, she mm, was broken. she was she was, mm. she was bro- yeah she was a broken object broken. that you know. So even more so when that was by a, a savage, for want of a better phrase, and I mean it's also meant to be a, a, a setup for his racism in a way, in the fact mm. that the tombstone that that she hides behind when when the raid actually happens on the house and she survives, and then they they kidnap her. That tombstone being um, the mother of Ethan and his brother and it right, says, right. says on it that she was you know killed by Comanche that that ingrained to such an extent and him having to overcome that racism in a, in a way it falls at the the final huddle as well that you can't actually go through with what you could earlier on especially when she's shown that she actually does you know, but perhaps at the, at the point he was going to kill her, he thought she she was irredeemable. But she'd so you know, she obviously showed some sign right at the end there that he'd seen something in her that where she was redeemable mm. and 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 backtracked from his total. And and maybe there was also right. a point in in throughout the entire the entire epic trail of um, trying to track her down, um, this subhuman um, companion that he'd had through it in, in Martin yeah. um, had had shown him that people who were mixed race were or had been you know, in some way subdued by um, that savage native mm. um, what he would, would term it that way anyway um, that there, it wasn't completely irredeemable so there's a, there's a couple of levels there to yeah. the, the to put off the implausibility and because racism isn't based upon a logic really that heat and fury of somebody wanting to, to kill some somebody for the racial element then, but then at the, the actual time of it not i suppose might be where it comes from i suppose he'd just been in a war with the indians as well so it's not i don't, I don't think it's only because they're indians i mean presumably they they'd killed some of his friends in the war he'd just been in I suppose well, it was that, been, no well he'd not been in the war with the, the indians. Civil war. 
Mm. It, been, well, in, 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 oh, it's Civil War, wasn't it? It's it, it yeah, Civil yeah. War, and yes, there were some some engines involved in that in, in a, a, oh, a, right. a very very edge version. But no, he'd been in that, and then he'd been obviously a mercenary with the um, the, the Spanish. Down in Mexico, um, wasn't he? Or Mexico, somewhere for three years. That's where the yeah. middle. That's where the middle comes from mm-hmm. that he gave away to Debbie. That then ended oh, up yeah. around Scar's neck. On, on the element of race as well. I mean, it's it's there does seem to be. I don't know whether it's retrofitting to the element or not because I know that John Ford tried to apparently tried to justify to the the actor who who plays um, Scar that you know picking him and his eye colour and stuff um, was. Uh, making him stand out and that would you know be better for the audiences rather than completely unbelievable there is a, a theory in there as well that's been put out and as, as i say i don't know if it's retrospectively been applied to try and, and cover over some racism uh, trying to say that that scar himself was uh, a, an abducted um uh, sort of european that oh wow that done that and and he'd sort of rebelled against the comanche tribe he'd come from and and gone gone rogue um maybe then therefore the john wayne having sat face to face with him and looked into his blue eyes Mm. maybe felt that um maybe the defilement wasn't it was by another european rather than a native and i think the whole element of discussion of race in it is um, and the people who who made this, whether portraying the racism of the actual era more than it is any racism in the actual the people who were telling the story, it's um, documented about the the things that um, John Ford and John Wayne both did to you know to aid the um, the local natives who appeared as extras in the films and actually you know yeah. give them regular work and flew various members into hospital and stuff and the, the native wife um luke who, who he accidentally um buys <laughs> um you know they stopped filming you know when john Wynne found out that she could couldn't attend her, her son's 21st birthday or whatever they stopped filming and he flew in private plane back to back to be able to attend that they were you know honored with with names and stuff by the tribes and you know in real life but Still, yeah. the racism is about what was the racism in the film, and um, I, I, you know, it's not something we should be accepting. Even though at the time it might have been easier to accept that you know, Indians were portrayed as just being villains, and and that was it. Yeah. Like Scott said, they 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 passed. They passed away from that and moved into an era years, where the, yeah. the Mexicans were the villains, basically. Yeah, I think. it evolved, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's always great numbers of them, if you notice. I mean, I guess Zulu is a bit different because that was a true story, but mm. there's always the impression given of expendability because there's just loads of them that all look the same. Yeah. Like the bison. Yeah. Like the yeah. bison, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, not a buffalo because you don't get a buffalo in, in North America, which is a weird thing. Oh, right, right. Why was he shooting those... So they're bison, were they? Why was he shooting them? So that the, the engines would starve. Yeah. Oh, right, they right, wanted right. one for themselves for food, and then he took oh, the opportunity right. to, to get the rest to, to go away to you know, try and kill a men, kill a few, you know, um, because he says something, doesn't he, Stephen? About that's one less one less meal for the Indians or something. He oh, says, right. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he actually gets questioned by Martin about it, and that's mm. what he says. And. Uh, unfortunately that has um historical precedent as far as something that the particularly the united states army on either side confederates or or, or oh, Yankees, slaughtered herds, um, didn't they? did yeah. as far as you know sort of 
wiping out mm. the food source. Yeah, right. Natives, but yes, yeah. yeah, so as I say, there's there's that element in it that with the the portrayal of the the, the natives, and uh, but, that raises the question of of the element of race in this and how far that was to do with the the characters and how justifiable yeah. that was due to their own history or or, or whether it's just part and parcel because yeah. there were some others of the characters don't, don't seem to be exhibiting the same level of racism i mean certainly right. the old woman who was trying to encourage ethan to um take a more more sympathetic view to to, to prever- preserving the life of martin and he sort of rebuffs her basically because you know he, he doesn't see him as being part of the family anyway. So I, I, you know, there's others who see see that see race in a different way. I think at the at the time, um, and they're portrayed right. as background characters who have a different view, and that maybe is to emphasise how racist uh, and single-minded in that um, Ethan is. Um, but he is, you know, he's a dick. No matter what, <laughs> even without the racism, the way he behaves towards people is is incredibly uh, mean spirited and selfish and arrogant. He he doesn't lack understanding. It's not this is not through ignorance. He understands not just the language and uh, of of the Mexicans from you know the Spanish language and then the the natives language. He understands clearly because he's translating certain things at certain points as far as words being used. But he understands that shooting out the eyes of the the dead Indian, you know, yeah. it, it, it's mm. it's a you know in their um, belief system that condemns them to to a never world and mm. not to to ascend to the ancestors and stuff. And yep. so it's not through ignorance. He does very well understand the culture, but just despises it, which paints him in a different light as being, you know, not just a racist who's motivated by one singular thing, he's a bit more informed, but still is is a horrible person. Well, Scott, if you don't mind, uh, uh, John Wayne himself did a famous interview in 1971. Can I just read a little bit of it? Please, yeah. It's extremely interesting. Yeah. This is the real John Wayne, isn't it, Ethan? <laughs> yeah. He said, with a lot of blacks, there's quite a bit of resentment along with their descent, and possibly rightfully so, but we can't all of a sudden get down on our knees and turn everything over to the leadership of the blacks. I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to a point of responsibility. Um, da, da, da. You know, he was very pro-Vietnam, we know that. Yeah. I don't feel we did wrong in taking this great country away from the Indians. Our so-called stealing of this country from them was just a matter of survival. Listen to this. There were great numbers of people who needed new land, and the Indians were selfishly trying to keep it for themselves. <laughs> oh my God! This came to um, light, didn't it, a few months ago? This interview, you know, it's. Uh, oh, was it? Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. This was all it's over the place. Yeah, bit of an uproar. You know, for people who didn't co- know his true feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne calls the two lead characters a midnight cowboy. Facts. For <laughs> yeah, the alleged yeah. love of those two men, and I was reminded, you know, when um, when Brando refused his Oscar. And he yes. sent uh, Sasheen Littlefeather. Yes. Um, it turned out wasn't actually a, a full Indian. I think she might be an actress, actually. But anyway. <laughs> and uh, Brando was on the Dick Cavett show. And you know, you know I like Dick Cavett. You do, yeah. And they were, they were talking about it. And Dick Cavett said, oh, yeah, some of the Hollywood establishment were pretty upset. And he said, oh, John Wayne looked like he was about ready to get a posse together. Yeah. Because oh, <laughs> yeah. he was so angry about Brando. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he was uh, he was old school Hollywood, and his his values yeah. and his you know his beliefs were completely outdated by this point in history. But I mean, uh, he, I haven't seen the film The Green Berets, but 
I know a little bit about it, but even the most naive of the American public didn't buy that America were somehow the victims of the Vietnam War. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and John Wayne John Wayne pretty much won that whole, you know, that war on his own. <laughs> so perhaps, perhaps I'm guilty of letting that colour my view of his films, but I don't know, I don't think so. I, I as different to, to Scott in my, in my politics and very much um, to, to the left. And there were a number of top-range actors historically who... Um, whose political views I, I find uh, abhorrent. I mean, among those are some of Scott's favourite actors who I can recognise are, are great actors, you know, Michael Caine and, mm. and James Stewart amongst them, and Barbara Stanwyck and etc. And John Wayne, yeah. I think, is an extreme because, you know, the, the others maybe have the same attitude um, towards race and, and, um, and things as John Wayne did. And so I can understand it colour, it taps subjectively um, colour, and it, doesn't, it certainly doesn't make me regard him well as a person I, and but i don't i don't disagree that he's acting generally speaking is isn't anything to to champion and that he became a a, a great star not on the basis of purely him having great acting talent oh, no, it was just great. that he yeah. he could fulfill the role yeah. um in an iconic way that that and certainly pairing up with john ford who, who made him look great all the time mm-hmm. um was was a great achievement but I do think that in this film he does display more acting talent than than perhaps any other, particularly any other Western I've seen him in. And so, some of that, some of that is the subtlety of which the you know that's that, that sort of unspoken um, love as well. But I can understand that the delivery of his lines and stuff is that's just John Wayne. He doesn't have any other way of delivering his lines. So yeah. anybody who's heralding that has been some genius way of of, of performing um, his. His role, um, unfortunately, <laughs> he, he he only had one way of delivering his lines, and that was John Wayne, yes. really. Yeah, I mean, I could make a joke about missing the second facial expression, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, like, like I said earlier, I mean, in a way, he's got it all going for him because he looks good. He's got the presence. He's got a kind of world weariness in his face. It's just, yeah. Anyway, I've already said that. <laughs> You wanted to. This has got about, very heavy, hasn't it? Has. I mean, let's let's lighten this yeah. up. You wanted to talk about influences, didn't you, Anthony, or something? Did you mention there was influences that quite famously, yeah. you know, this movie? Well, I know from uh, Stephen's previous uh, um, discussing this film that he knows all about the the Buddy Holly. Obviously, is the that'll be the day. The one mm-hmm. that'll be the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. this, apparently, the Searchers, the 1960s Liverpool band, are named after this. I mean, I've yep. never heard them say that. But I have. A, no, this that's is a Wikipedia job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'd, I'd heard that previously. Oh, you've heard them yeah. previously. Um, yeah. yeah. You know the beginning when obviously he appears in the distance. Yes. And uh, obviously that influenced Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. But I don't know if I got this right, but when I heard about that, the Lawrence Arabia one, he really emerges from very far. And in this oh, one, he actually distance, not yeah. as far away as I no. thought it was going to be, no. funnily enough. Yeah. Um, and then um, I'm not much of a Star Wars fan, but apparently uh, it's Luke's, this is what I read, <laughs> Luke's homestead burned by the Imperial Stormtroopers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. certainly, George Lucas has, has recognised um, this film, mm. and John Ford yeah. has been a, an influence on him. And you can certainly see that that there, that directly is one of the easiest ways to point the the whole. Um, it's uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, where yeah. they're, they're led away from the mm. homestead, and then it's burnt, and then they, they return mm. to it too late and stuff. Is you know is is almost cut and pasted from this, yeah. and with transparency, I think as well. So this this film does have 
it's you know influence on on others um, Lawrence of Arabia included, yeah, with the the way that scenery is, is shot in that epic scale of of the um, panorama. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fortunately, they both had the option to do that with the the scenery that they were working with, and obviously it's different scenery, but still, that transfers over to you know be a, a thing of beauty on screen. You certainly. Yeah. Um. Okay. The you've got the slightly disjointed and I think at the time it was actually you know very well done at the time it's just retrospectively that the studio scenes look a bit stand out um in <laughs> mm. this whereas I think at the time it was probably you know common very common you know, one of the one of the best ever done yeah. um the way that they blended the two in most respects but I think that the scenery they had they had to to work with I think that actually although maybe other people had shot in that area of, of the country previously, I think that basically stamped it as as John Ford country, oh, really. The master, um, yeah, definitely. I, I would think, and and anybody who, who looks at that, that who are, you know, in America probably does um, picture it from through the eyes of of um, of John Ford, really. Mm. And you can't can't deny that he he showed the beauty of it, and and I think you know. Iconically, I do think that the the way it was shot with the opening scene coming through the door and then finishing going back through the door, I think that's a yeah, it's a, a book ending thing, a, thing a, isn't a book ending thing which in, yeah. you know, introduces us viewers in, and I think that's a that's iconic as well. That's something that's yeah. been taken by other people and 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 used, which is 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 great. I'm not sure that was ever really done before then, um, and see the the minimalist way in which the characters are introduced to begin with. There's not quite tight on the dialogue um but the introducing basically who the you know who they are within context of each other so i think that there's there's, there is subtlety in here and i think there is a greatness in in that respect but i do think that john wayne is overrated um and this is even though this is one of his his finer performances i think as a general thing i'd agree with you anthony that that john wayne his stardom wasn't based upon acting talent really <laughs> there was um there's a documentary i'd like to recommend to both of you and the listeners called everything is a remix i don't know if you've ever come across this and it it posits the idea that all ideas come from other ideas and that in a way there's no original ideas but it's actually meant in a positive way to say that you know a lot of people are blocked from doing things creative because they say well you know i can't top what's been done before but what songwriters i mean i'm a musician so i can tell you this for sure songwriters do is take what's gone before and modify it and uh, it was actually in this film that they they showed all the all the things that star wars had taken from previous films and the idea that star wars is actually a western set in space it is or even you can a, take mm, yeah you mm. can take the same dynamics and just move them into a different place but mm. perhaps we could put a link to that because i i really recommend you guys check that out there is a, a, a tangential thing to that that yes um the the other big influence on star wars was was obviously um hidden fortress the, the, work, hmm? the hidden fortress yeah mm. yeah the, the works of, of akira kurosawa who oh, yeah. um you know which was strange that he was himself influenced by by westerns in the making of his historical films which then led to him making seven samurai which then influenced which then was remade (laughs) as magnificent seven and it's a bit cyclic there in in a way but certainly um george lucas you know the has been quite open um, about that, that that's where his influences come from and western in space is absolutely where it comes from because yeah. you, you you almost do literally have 
the black hat villains and the the white hat mm-hmm. good guys fighting in that sense and okay there's a bit of sort of medieval chivalry sort of the Arthurian thing you know in there as well but it essentially mm-hmm. yeah it is a, it's a western and that I don't think can be disputed and and absolutely I don't think that there's not many original ideas out there most things are inspired by something else mm-hmm. if not directly um sort of copied um it's what you do with that yeah. Uh, inspiration if you can do something new with it rather than just plagiarise there is another influence um, Martin Scorsese was a big fan yeah he was a mm. taxi driver ah. think about it Maverick character goes out of his way to protect innocent girl from malign force mm. yeah Harvey Keitel is, is the Indian chief Jodie Foster is Debbie <laughs> yeah <laughs> I suppose we're just, yeah, in a way this conversation's kind of making me think much more that it, 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 has, a, it has a place in its influence. Ooh, but, but what ooh, it's trying to do is be done way better yeah. like, in the future. Now, this, this is, I think, <laughs> I've only partially re-listened to what I said on the, the, the classic film jokes, so maybe... I, Don't worry, we'll, I, check it, we'll check it uh, out. In case you uh, but um, whether I made it on that, on that review or whether it's, it's something that I've come to the conclusion since, but I think that the... the this being considered a classic, um, I'm more confident of describing this as a classic, but yeah. more so in the influence it's had rather than just just entirely as itself. Depends um, on the definition some, of a classic is, this is what we said at the beginning, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and there are some films that um, that just are, are iconic in just themselves and, and that's it. And they stand out and nobody tries to, to take anything from it. And then there are, there are others that it's their influence and I mean it's well, the same we've, we've discussed with, with bands and stuff as well that um, you know the influence they had is greater than the, the actual impact they had at the time people like Velvet Underground and stuff but I think there's too many flaws in this to, for it to be held up as being you know a, a great a, a great film necessarily but there's certainly a, a lot to be praising about it and that's yeah. um, maybe not initially seen in it and certainly when I've rewatched it, I've, I've found more to, to like about it, even though I've also seen some more of the bits where it's, you know, I think, oh, that could have been done slightly better. Um, could you, Scott or Stephen, can you recommend a couple more of other John Wayne films? I mean, I haven't seen Stagecoach. That's the one I'd really like to see. Yeah, it's the one the that's the first hand, one that, you know, he became a star. I'd certainly say Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo, right. Yeah. True grit because of um, the, the Oscar-winning performance, but you know that I think that was more of a, a lifetime achievement, yeah, award in that respect. But John Wayne wasn't just westerns. Look at you know the Quiet Man and the war films that he did as well. Rio Bravo, I think, would be the one to turn to. You've seen the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Yeah, yeah. There's a few. There's a few westerns I'm going to throw you away after we finish recording. Okay, well, yeah, do I it. Yeah. Think. We're sort of trying to work out whether this is a classic, but obviously. As Stephen has just pointed out, definition of classics is, is purely down to you know your own yeah. thoughts and things. <laughs> how how was it perceived at the time? Because you've got some reviews there, I believe, Anthony. It was yeah. the reception for it. I mean, was it wow? This is a great western, or was it flawed from the from the start? Well, this is very interesting because if you take the majority of classic films from those times, they invariably tend to get at least Oscar nominated, and this didn't get any Oscar nominations. And my my question, not to you, but to anybody who 
says that with a classic film, if this wasn't considered a classic and you watched it, would you think, wow, why isn't this considered a classic? If yeah. I turned that round the other way, what do you think? If this was a minor John Wayne film and you watched it one day? It depends if you watch a lot of westerns or not. Right, okay. For me, that does, and has seen a fair few, I think it's one of the better ones. Okay. Because right. there is a lot of dross out there. You know, I agree that, that this is, this is a, 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 a top-ranking Western. Let's be careful how I said that. Um, <laughs> be, be, I think that a lot of that is down to the fact that um, this was the sweet spot whereby not you know, with other Westerns, but particularly with John Ford himself, he, he perfected his own vision of a film and his own eye for, for shooting film so particularly with the scenery um the beauty of it and also being able to to do the the you know the wide scenes whereby there's what the where the action's taken isn't done necessarily in a close-up and there's yeah. minimal use of the of the camera moving uh, with the close-ups as well and i think that that's why this if i saw it to answer your question if i saw it um and it it didn't already have the note that it did have Mm. I would be thinking, oh, this this deserves reappraising by mm. people. Mm. Um, That's fair. Wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be to to the degree by I'll be saying that people would be shouting from the rooftops and saying it's the greatest film ever. But mm. um, you know, not like um, there was there was there were films that I have come to that I'm thinking this. You know, it was I think the first time I watched Double Indemnity. I just ended oh, up going, I love that. Just going. Why the fuck don't everybody, you know, <laughs> list this yeah. as, as one of you know when they're talking about great films? Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas this, if they were talking about Western films and they didn't mention this, I'd be you know be keen to sort of say, well, hold on. But uh, you know, obviously, there's also be the element I think of saying, do you realise the influence this film had? And, and again, I'd come back to saying about bands and certain bands that their influence was greater than their acclaim at the time, and they ended yeah. up, um, they they ended up influencing great, you know, more acclaimed bands, and that would have been the case if this wasn't regarded as a as a classic. It would be, you know, certainly one that you'd be going, well, yeah, did you realise that this this influenced this, that, and the other? No, I take your point. I, the only way I disagree is I think the Velvets completely holds up, like. <laughs> More than this, but I, I, I totally understand what you mean. It's not appreciated at the time, but it's very, it actually got me thinking. It's so strange to look back at a time and think about people's reactions because you know, Rock Around the Clock, yes. the song. I mean, when that was played in the cinema, people were tearing up the seats. Yes. Yeah. You know, and now it's round two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. You know, it's <laughs> so tame. And obviously, when they saw Bill Haley and they realised he was this kind of well, what was chunky was, middle aged um, man with a kiss curl, they, but wasn't it from Blackboard Jungle, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Blackboard Jungle, yeah. 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 And there was another one, at High School Confidential. High School I mean, it's Confidential, so tame. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's great on one level. But um, I was doing the review. Sorry, wasn't I? I forgot. <laughs> Well, Bosley Crowther, I think Bosley Crowther's got a permanent spot on Wikipedia, do <laughs> Getting quoted. But episode is piled upon episode, climax upon climax, and corpse upon corpse. It certainly conveys the lengthiness of the hunt, but it leaves one a mite exhausted, especially with the speed at which it goes. Ooh. And then, I don't know if this is Bosley or someone else, the obvious synthetic surroundings of the studio stage. Some of the campfire scenes could have been shot in a sporting goods store window. <laughs> that was a bit harsh. <laughs> Yeah, but then uh, the New York Times said Wayne is uncommonly commanding, which I'd agree with. Mm -hmm. And then Grail Marcus, who's um, cultural critic, 
Ethan is Ahab, the good American hero, driving himself past all known limits and into madness. His commitment to honour and decency burned down to a core of vengeance. Yeah. Good writing. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> Even when I don't agree with him, I like the writing. I've just summed up in two sentences what it's taken us an hour to try and get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you guys got any more to say before we start winding this down a wee bit? Just very slightly, just to be commenting on the um, the the parallels between um, Ethan and Martin, despite the fact that that Ethan likes, you know, sees him as being, you know, nothing to do with him and nothing like him and, and wanting um, wanting to be disassociated with him. Really, the, the fact that they're they're both putting aside, seemingly putting aside their their loves for for following a, a cause. I I had a bit of a presumption that this, you know, unspoken love with the sister-in-law, he'd, he'd not pursued that, and the brother had, had done so instead because he'd gone off to do um, the civil war and fight for for his country as he saw it um which he still has loyalty to to it wasn't about the glory it wasn't about the medals it wasn't about anything else it was obviously it was completely about the racism but he, he saw it as being duty and and still being you know his oath to the country um but he's following a a duty there which is perhaps one of the ways in which he could be pointed to as having some kind of admirable quality that at least he's 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 got that but um, on the other side, Martin is obviously putting aside, you know, for five years he's put puts aside uh, sort of Vera Miles and and pursues trying to say the person who he sees as his sister, and that's the the parallel between the two having that common trait, despite the fact that it's been denied by um, Ethan, is something that whether that does have an impact upon winning Ethan over by the end or subconsciously or or not, but certainly they they seem to have a, a parallel. There and I don't know whether that's in, uh, intentionally written that there to be the case, or whether it's just that it's it's the simple trope of of the character arcs and they just happen to be the you know the same in that respect. Yeah, Anthony, you got any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, have we, have we sort of swayed you a wee bit for, for over the past hour. Has, has your opinion sort of changed a wee bit? Um, I'm fairly convinced that if I watched this again, I'd enjoy it more. Okay. And if I watched it subsequently, I'd probably enjoy it more. Having said all that, considering I've only ever seen one other John Wayne film, if I am going to investigate him, I'll probably go to Stagecoach or the other ones you said. Yeah. Different ones. Um, I mean, I, I was going to mention earlier the Westerns, some of the ones I love. is just a few, like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, mm-hmm. uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, The Unforgiven, as you said, Western Noir, did you say? That's a great, <laughs> I like that. Uh, the, Wild, the Wild Bunch. Not a fan, then, not a fan of The Wild Bunch. Right, Butch mm. Cassidy's more of a almost a comedy western, yep. really. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, Robert. Have you ever reviewed yeah. that? Yeah, yeah I, I do love that mm-hmm. film. Um, yeah, I mean, just in closing, I think, like I say, I'd like to see the Coen Brothers or someone do what they did with True Grit, and I'd like to see someone remake this because I think it's a great story. Mm. But I just like to see where you get these sudden changes. I just like, I'd like to see more of Ethan and Martin, and. Ethan warming to him, but but that developed more like three or four occasions of that. Where whereas it just seems like everything happens too suddenly, and I definitely can see the influence, and I think it's the ideas being taken and improved. I just, mean, Taxi Driver, I'd never thought of that, but yeah, yeah it's good. Just, so yeah, not bad film, but anyway, yeah. Not to go down the line on the 
that I did previously on the classic film jokes where they actually they have a, a segment where they recast the film if it was going to be remade and stuff. We yeah. don't want yeah. that's a bit I too like involved. Which yeah. was in in the vein of True Grip being remade. Do you think that this that an element is probably more towards Anthony than it is towards towards Scott? But um, do you think that though it would benefit therefore from being um, a longer film whereby they could do more development and show more of the transition of, of diff- the character's point of view, like Ethan moving towards a point of view where he's he's not going to kill his daughter and put him more into our uh, that sort of character study of the of the people rather than... I mean, we've got the passage of time told cleverly through, the, through you know... Yeah. We received a letter... Yeah, we received your letter a, a year ago and that sort of tells the audience... But... Um, the to give a bit more time to the um the character development and, and character study do you think it would benefit from that if it was re- is that one of, the, one of the elements that might motivate and improve through a remake or do you think it, it still wouldn't make a, a it might I work think, as a mini series you know like a long, mm, that's what i was thinking maybe a long oh, form it, sort it? of like you know a, a 12-hour mini series or something that devotes right. the time to the passage of time, you know, that, that might be an idea. Yeah. Didn't think of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think to answer your question, I think just another 10, I mean, miniseries would be fine, but I, I think just another 10 or 15 minutes. Cause I think, I think in the right hands, I mean, this wasn't a bad script, but with a modern script writer and a good director, I think that all you really need is two or three telling scenes, which wouldn't actually take very long, mm. you know? And did you choose uh, Kurt Russell when you were on that other show, Stephen? I did. I think yeah. You did. Was, uh, I, I originally, I really like that. yeah, that's good. I, I originally picked Liam Neeson. Um, I oh, think yeah, it was yeah, to, as right. a as a replacement, and then subsequently, when we were discussing um, one of the other recasting bits, in response to one of the things, one of the people that they picked, I said, "Well, you'd need somebody like Kurt Russell to uh, yeah. to offset them." And they went, "Oh, that's the best one yet. We'll you know, <laughs> replace Liam Neeson with with Kurt Russell." Um, yeah. And um, in some respects, I think in, in the same way that um, Jeff Bridges um, has sort of started occupying those kind of craggy um, roles, yeah, yeah. I think that, I think it was Rooster Cogburn, think, wasn't he, in the remake? Yeah, mm. and I think that would, I think he might, you know, might well be a, a, a recast. Um, Tarantino for two hours, but leave out the 45 minutes bloodbath at the end you know <laughs> in all seriousness if tarantino did it it would be great up to a point but then he'd just have loads of unnecessary just like a massive like bloodshed at the end you know yeah. but the cohen brothers i think i suppose if they remade it it would just get compared to true grit wouldn't it and perhaps they'd do it in the same way but mm. i just to answer your question yeah just just another 10 15 minutes two or three telling scenes you know? Well, I, I want to see the, um, the a, a remake of it by um, by Ken Loach myself. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Searches. Right. How about carry on the searches? <laughs> carry on the searches. <laughs> Sid James has already eaten. been done. Carry on, cowboy. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah. for me, just just sort of in summary, it's, it's I don't think it is a typical John Wayne Western. It's um, a step apart. And potentially mm-hmm. above, yeah. Um, he's not been asked to just do the 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 bog standard deliver your lines, shoot a you know, no. ride on a horse and shoot a gun and 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 grab a woman at a certain point no. and and kiss mm-hmm. her. He's 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 playing 
particularly playing an anti-hero this rather than playing bit. a hero is the other thing as well. There's a yeah. dark side to him that he's never, ever portrayed on screen and pretty much doesn't after this. Mm. And for anybody out there that wants to criticise this movie for its harshness on race or, you know, things were different. If it offends you now, according to your modern sensibilities, just get over it. It's, it's a 1956 mm. Western. See it for what it is. And, yeah, perhaps John Wayne should have won the Oscar for this rather than True Grit. I'll have to have a little look and see what was up in contention in 1956. But yeah. but it's not, arguably, it's not an Oscar-winning performance, but it is certainly one of his most different, his, his most different performances. Um, and I'm wondering if audiences at the time were a little bit uncomfortable seeing that their, their white-hatted hero has this streak running through him. It'd be interesting to find out what audience reactions were compared to critics' reactions at the time. Mm. Did they take to this movie? Did they like a dark John Wayne? Or did they want, as Stephen said, the all-action American hero riding off into the sunset? And incidentally, you guys mentioning that, that book ending of the doorways. That Obviously, mm. that last bit at the end, you know, where he's holding his, his elbow and he's walking away. It, it just shows that he's not ever going to be part of that, you know, that bit of civilization. He's always going to be out there, a wanderer almost. It's why it took him three years to come home, you know. Yeah. Funnily Do you enough, know the, the holding the elbow thing came from? I've read it somewhere, but I can't remember for the life of me. Go on. It's, it's the uh, mannerism of the actor um, Harry Carey. Harry Carey. Carey. Oh, uh, you want to pronounce it? It was whose wife and son were both in yes, this film yeah. um, playing parts, but it, obviously he was dead by that point. Yeah, but it was a mannerism of of, of Very his. Very was it? I didn't realise that. Yeah. Oh, well, but like you say, he the door the door closing, and he everybody else goes in, but he doesn't. He walks away. Mm. Is is you know, very symbolic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mm. I was just just reminded. Um, once upon a time in the West, uh, Charles Bronson <laughs> walks away, doesn't he? But um, yeah. Yeah. he he walks away from uh, having a bath with Cla- Claudia Cardinale, as they said Fool. on the commentary. He's very committed to this loner thing, Charles Bronson, because Claudia Cardinale is gorgeous. Yeah. Fool. <laughs> but there's no no doubt the influence, hundred yeah. percent. Do you guys want to rate this? I'm, I'm I'll be interested to see. I, I I'm know, afraid to. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, put it this way, I mean. We won't necessarily do star ratings, but I think it'd be fair to say that Anthony's initial ideas may have swayed slightly. He's certainly willing to watch it a second time and probably yeah. look at it in a slightly different way next time round. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably guilty of being hardwired. So when there's a sort of consensus opinion about things, I, I can I can be a bit contrarian. But I think I honestly didn't rate this film massively highly, but yeah, mm. I think it... Yeah, I'm open. I'm open to watching more John Wayne. I, I think, think you need to watch a few more and then go yeah, back I to it. So. Go back to it and then make your comparison. I f- yeah, I think if nothing else, you'll realise that this is one of the better performances. Yeah, playing. yeah. So I've got to go and watch some worse <laughs> ones, have I? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to start with Stagecoach. Oh, see again, that's not typical because it's his first starring oh, role, and it's 1939. It's an old one. I mean. It's the okay. 50s stuff, I think, is is the, the golden era, if you like. Um, yeah. Well, you uh, know the legend of uh, Orson Welles' only preparation for Citizen Kane was watching Stagecoach 40 times. Yes, it was. It was. It was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Stephen, your review system? I mean, I'd say this one is one that people should see, um, if only to 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 be um, aware of where influences come from. Um, there's more to it than that, though. I mean, there is an, in, 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 the outdoor scenes that aren't the studio scenes. I mean, you know, there's certainly a, a number of, of epic shots that are just you know oh, beautiful landscape to yeah. see despite it being quite barren in some respects and i think that there is more interest in it to to be picking up on some of the subtleties of subplots and and things despite our comments that there are tweaks that could have been made um mm. to better re- retell it i do think if you put it within the con relative to the time and within the context of what else was being put out by john wayne as well as other people at the time and particularly in the western genre i think that this this does stand out and does merit actually a, a watch by people so don't have to necessarily search it out too too bad but if you're a searcher um it should be on it's on that russian website it should be on that uh, yeah <laughs> Sorry, a secret, a secret. But, but i imagine you know i imagine it will you know it's on tv at some point i imagine you know it'd be on um maybe one of the one of the tv channels that are buried uh, the high numbers that are CBS movies or whatever it is, it'll probably appear on then, you know, some afternoon in the next, you know, two it's, months. Uh, it's I think it's a TCM. It's a TCM yeah. stable, yeah, it's a t- stable yeah, isn't it? That's um, kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's, Sky um, movies as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's so uh, it's it's worth seeing for to as part of movie history and also to see what you know. Some I mean I think a film somebody who's interested in filmmaking should should see it as well to yeah. see mm. some iconic ways of doing things really for me you know my star rating is is not based on whether i think it's it's a good movie or it deserves a classic status mine's purely based on the enjoyment level Mm. of me watching it on this particular viewing and i went into the movie thinking i'm gonna give this a four you know it's it's not it's not one of my five star movies but you know what this time around because i hadn't seen it possibly for about 10 years and I haven't seen it that many times, you know, probably about four or five times. Um, just watching it again, I, I've, I'm notching this up to a five-star movie purely based on my enjoyment level watching it. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's not. I just find the characters so annoying, though. Did you find the character? Yeah, but it's not based on right. artistic merit or production values. Right, it's, it's, right, it's, right. it's my enjoyment of the movie. People find okay. this difficult to get because if we were... Or if I was marking a movie based on its production values, 98% of every movie I watch will get five stars because they're all made really well. There's not mm. very often a badly made movie unless it's done deliberately. It's just a pure enjoyment factor. And I had a five-star experience watching this movie last night. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's the best Western ever made. Far from it. I know that it's not the best Western ever made. But last night... At eight o'clock, or whenever I watched it, Friday night, eight o'clock when I watched it, it was it was perfect. It was, it was a great, great viewing of it for me this time round. It's so subjective, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have an obsession with the. Have you ever seen the film Death Trap? With yeah, with Christopher Michael Reeve. Kane and Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see it's not a great film at all. It's not got a great script or anything. I just love it, and I don't yeah. know why. I think because I love Sleuth, and it's a kind of a son of Sleuth. Almost, almost. a two-hander, isn't it? But, not quite. Yeah, yeah I mean, and it's mildly better than the remake of Sleuth as well, <laughs> which was pretty bad. You, you, yeah. you, your enjoyment of a film doesn't mean it's got to be a, a, a great film. I mean, I, you know, I love Jackie Chan films. Yes. The plots are, are 
basically just links between fight scenes yeah. and the acting <laughs> is is yeah. is you know. Well, do you remember Steve on that it, day that I said to you that I'd watched um, San Andreas? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And you 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 <laughs> said about the enjoyment level that you'd had of that. I came out of that cinema, didn't I? And it, and it was just like, wow, you know, because it just did everything on the tin. I went in expecting a cheesy disaster movie starring The Rock with hopefully some good special effects on a big screen. There's probably only two or three other people in the cinema when I watched it. And I came out not saying it was the greatest movie ever made, but I came out going, what a great time I've had. (laughs) And it's up there on my shelf now. And And every now and again, if I just want to put something on where I can switch my brain off and, and just get totally absorbed in a bit of disaster cheese... Disaster cheese. That's a that's a new genre we've just invented. Um, <laughs> I would watch San Andreas every time. So yeah, perhaps people should be should be marking you know the, the, you know grading these movies based on the enjoyment level rather than yeah. what they think people ought to you know that their opinions ought to be. Well, I think the the majority of people do exactly that with what they do as far as going to the cinema. They go to see. The stuff that they enjoy, so they 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 rate films or vote for films with their with their money. Yeah. So I mean, that's in you know entirely how these things seem to be go. You know, you having that that way of, of looking at a film that you you rate it for your enjoyment rather than uh, in an objective sort of clinical thing about its its technical brilliance. Yeah, is absolutely what you should be doing because otherwise, there's no point in having commentary about a film like like we have we could just go down to some kind of uh, mathematic equation and there'd be no point in having podcasts like this two two examples two prime examples right vertigo featuring my favorite actor and one of my favorite directors of all time top of whatever lists it may be at the moment sight and sound i think it may be you know yeah three star movie i struggle with it i struggle with vertigo three to four stars um taxi driver three stars at the most because i struggle with it that's the one that is my big one that i need to try and work out that's quite polarizing though not everyone likes that no yeah. no it's just well, it's muppets christmas carol five five every time oh. if there was a six star rating system it would get a six michael kane singing for god's sake come on what more do you want kermit's in it come on <laughs> <laughs> the, muppet, the muppet movie that's when we've got to do things i know you're a big fan of the muppets and, and and the greatest special well, I, effect. I, I, that's what I want to see, actually. Just to inter- interject there, sorry. Yeah. I want to see Jim Henson's The Searchers. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Starring Kermit the Frog. Yeah. <clears throat> the greatest <laughs> special effect ever put on celluloid. Keep your CGI and your practical effects from the thing. Kermit the Frog riding a bicycle. Still yeah. amazes me to this day. Watch it on screen. It's on, on YouTube. It's probably there. I, yeah. I was absolutely fascinated by that and watching him play a banjo on a lily pad as well at the very beginning seeing a rainbow connection the greatest special effect ever put off <laughs> yeah. and he's got legs like me so you know. okay guys that wraps it up for the searchers tell you what let's take a short break and we'll be back with what we're watching next time and the time after back after this i found him i found lucy they're camped about a half mile over I was just swinging back, and I seen their smoke. Bellied up a ridge, and there they was, right below me. Did you see Debbie? No. No, but I saw Lucy, all right. She was wearing that blue dress, and she was... What you saw wasn't Lucy. Oh, but it it was, I tell you. What you saw was a buck. 
Wearing Lucy's dress. I found Lucy back in the canyon. Wrapped her in my coat. Buried her with my own hands. Thought it best to keep it from you. Oh. Did they... What was she... What do you want me to do, draw you a picture? Spell it out? Don't ever ask me. Long as you live, don't ever ask me more. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. Okay, guys, the three of us have decided we're going to get back together. I'm, I'm liking this dynamic. We've already decided what the next movie's going to be because we had this conversation. I can't remember what was the last one we did together, guys. What was it? Uh, Rope, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then we decided that we're going to do the 1962 version of Mutiny on the Bounty, which was oh, Anthony's yes. choice. Mm-hmm. Anthony was brought in as a guest on this one because this originally was going to be mine and Stephen's it was my choice for Stephen what I'm going to do, it's only fair that Stephen makes his choice now and once we get back into the swing of it we'll reveal film by film okay Stephen, we sort of threw this in your lap before we turned the microphones on but King of the Lists over there has got some probably prepared somewhere in his brain or it was it was whittling it down um and i'm going to take a great risk oh. to be perfectly honest i like uh, it when you do that not not a, not a risk in any sense apart from a personal risk mm. um I, I have the same attitude towards um certain films as, as scott does that you just don't want to bring them to the table because you love them so much you don't want oh. to have somebody else tear them down okay. um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take that risk. Been aware of Anthony's <laughs> inclination towards being a contrarianist. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so so no, um, I'm not. Uh, uh, but I'm still gonna do it. I'm still gonna say Amelie. <gasps> okay. Oh, Emily. Oh yeah. Have you seen it, Anthony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. I think I saw it at the cinema actually. Mm. Pile of shit. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say Gone with the Wind before you were talking about that. I think Scott thought I was going to say Back to the Future. I did oh, right. think you were going to say Back to the Future, but that is your precious baby, isn't it? You know, mine's Lawrence I'm Arabia. I'm that one. Yeah. Um, and I'll probably never, also, I'll probably never bring the uh, Growth Point Blank either. Oh, right. cool. You were very close to me bringing that at one point. Very, very close. <laughs> Somebody else does, fair enough. I'm not okay. taking that risk myself. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, very quickly, Anthony. Glass Onion on John Lennon. Where can we find you? Uh, all the usual places. That's <laughs> all you need to Sound, say. <laughs> Post it from SoundCloud. There's a Facebook page. Uh, Twitter is at Onion Lennon. And it's all yeah, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. Stephen, put you on the spot. Where can we find Real Britannia? Uh, well, obviously, <laughs> on Twitter, it's Our Britannia. Our Britannia. Um, think so isn't it our britannia pod possibly our britannia pod yeah um, i don't know about facebook um, it's there. There's a group. I, 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 
don't think you're on Instagram. Uh, you might be on Pornhub. I'm not really sure about that one. But um, <laughs> it's certainly um, the you can find the whole raft of, of stinking stinking paws family of podcasts, <laughs> including Rainbow Valley, on the on the web. Certainly via Stitcher and, oh, and um, Ask Jeeves. The, Remember that. Yeah, ask Jeeves for that one. You can find it on, on Apple Podcasts and, and Stitcher my, and such like that. It's across the entire web. It'd be hard not to not to come across it, considering how many there are. Ah, oh, bless you. Guys, I love you too. You know that. Thank you for being there this afternoon. Thank you for talking about John Wayne and the searchers. And Anthony, you've got a, a, a voyage of discovery to unfold. Mm. So forward- I don't drown. No, no, you'll be fine. We'll, we'll throw a few of your... Oh, face a mutiny. <laughs> <laughs> Coming Very up good. next. And we've also got Emily as well. Anthony, Stephen, cheers, guys. Take care. See you both very soon. See you later. That'll be the day. The management of this theater suggests that for the greater entertainment of your friends who have not yet seen the picture, you will not divulge to anyone the secret of the ending. Astrid, I'm stupid infernal jamboree. It's worse than two cats on a fence. You dudes get lost now, you hear? Good night, ladies. Good night, sir. When you fail down, try positive thinking. That's what I told the man said Don't wear a frown Try positive thinking Laugh at your troubles instead You've got to look On the bright side On hope so much depends With your confidence sinking Positive thinking Helps you on the way my friend When things look black Try Positive thinking, treat every season as spring. No glancing back, try. Positive thinking, trust what tomorrow may bring. This crazy world that we live in will keep on spinning round. But with good, strong, positive thinking, we'll get together and life won't let us down. Shut up. Oh, shut up. We enjoy it.